Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. And then Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. It's, a, it's at the tail end of his chapter on the resurrection. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. A question. Have you ever felt like giving up? Have you ever felt like quitting? Have you ever felt like throwing up your hands and tossing in the towel and saying, I can't do it anymore? I'm done. I quit. I'm empty. It's over. I mean, you're working on a, on a project, on a relationship, on a ministry. You're, you're working on a life, and you've just about had about all you can take. I mean, you're making little, if any, progress. You're spinning your wheels. You're not getting anywhere, and you're tired, you're weary, you're worn out, and you're frustrated. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I've been there and done that about one, two, three, or 6,747 times. Uh, check out what I, I, I wrote in my journal um, three years ago on, on May, the, May the 23rd. I was in my second month, first month of being 50. I know I look younger if you're visiting, you know. Uh, it's, and uh, um, my second month of unemployment. And here's what I wrote. Uh, Good morning, Dad. It's 4 a.m. and I am such a bad place. I need you. Doubt, fear, insecurity, etc., are racing to consume me. I feel like I am nothing right now. Dad, if I were you, I, I would forget me. I'm such a failure. Fear, doubt, and blowing it are just how I do it. I'm tired of rejection. I'm tired of waiting. I'm afraid for my family. If I should leave the ministry now, just let me know. I don't like things right now at all. When will this end? I took a whole page to write the next word. Help. And, and then that day I happened to be reading Isaiah chapter 50. And you know, God's word is living and active. And here's what God spoke to me. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be dismayed. Therefore, I have set my face like stone, determined to do his will, and I know I will triumph. See, the sovereign Lord is on my side. Trust in the Lord and rely on your God. And then I wrote, thanks, Dad. I, I so needed your perspective on this thing. Yes, one day will be the day that I will rise from these ashes and become whom I am supposed to be. And it could actually be today if I make that choice. Okay, this morning, as we continue in our message series, the story, we're going to meet a guy named Jeremiah. The prophet, not the bullfrog. <laughs> that always works and it shouldn't, you know, like it works and it's like, all right, it's lame, but it gets a laugh every now and then. And Jeremiah, he was a guy that never gave up. 
And Jeremiah, he, he's one of my heroes. He's been one of my mentors in my faith journey. I can't tell you how many times when life was tough that I would grab my Bible, my journal, a pen, you know, some coffee, and I would read words that Jeremiah wrote 2,500 years ago. And every single time, God would use Jeremiah to speak right to my heart and, and to lift me up. I, I've never met the guy. I'm just 50, not 2,500 years old, all right? I've never met the guy, but I love the guy. I love the guy. And I can't wait to meet him in heaven, throw some steaks on the grill, grab some sweet tea, and just hang out together. Now, my goal this morning, it's twofold. First and foremost, I want to lift up our awesome God. And my second goal is I hope that, that something I say, maybe a scripture I read, a word or a phrase, whatever, will help someone who's here today and maybe feels like giving up, maybe feels like quitting, tossing in the towel. All right, let's do this, but let's pray first. Palms open, symbolic that we're ready to receive from God this morning. God, we love you. And God, we come to you this morning and uh, we're thirsty people and we need you. And God, I pray that you speak today. I pray that Jeremiah becomes alive in this place today and that he teaches us how to keep going, even when we feel like quitting, God. Even, even when the, the, the hill seems so hard to climb. God, God, I pray that I say what you want me to say in the exact way that you want me to say it. God, help us to hear your voice today. Protect us from the enemy because he loves to discourage us. He loves to beat us up, Lord. He loves to keep us down. But you can lift us up this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, Jeremiah, he comes onto the scene in the middle of chapter 17 of the story. And let's do a quick recap of where we are in the story. Uh, the nation of Israel, remember, has divided into two kingdoms. In the north, you have, you have Israel. In the south, you have, you have Judah. And over a 200-plus year period of history, you had God sending different prophets uh, we've looked at Elijah and Isaiah, and this week we're looking at Jeremiah. And, and these nine different prophets got sent to warn the people, telling them, look, judgment is coming. If, if you don't do some things differently, if you don't turn around, if, if you don't go in a different direction, you're going to experience some really severe consequences because you've rejected me to follow these false gods, these idols. So, so for 200 years, God warns his people, it's coming, it's coming, judgment is coming, finally it comes. And as we saw last week, the Assyrian Empire, an army, 185,000 strong, march, march on the northern kingdom, completely destroy it. And up on deck is the southern kingdom. So the Assyrians come to attack the southern kingdom, but the southern kingdom has an X factor. And we talked about it last week, a king by the name of Hezekiah. And because Hezekiah, he was a man of prayer, he was a, he was a man of purity, he drug all the garbage out of the temple that shouldn't have been there to begin with, and he was a humble man, because Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah hit their knees and, and pray to God when they're surrounded, while they're all, when all of Israel, Judah, is sleeping in their bed snugly, God sends one angel and one angel from God's army wipes out uh, the entire Assyrian army, 180,000 men. And as the King James Version words it, when the Assyrians woke up the next morning, lo, they were dead. Yeah, I love that. If you wake up in the morning, you find out you're dead, that's a bad way to start your day. I'm just saying. And, and then we keep reading, and Hezekiah's good, but his, his son takes over Manasseh. He's evil. 
A bunch of other evil kings come on the scene. And after about 100 years or so, God has had enough with the, the southern kingdom. He says, I'm done. My anger can't be restrained. And so the Babylonian empire, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, come in, attack Israel, surround Israel, destroy Israel in the year 586 B.C. And Jeremiah, at the age of 17, was called into his ministry about 40 years before Jerusalem fell. He was a PK, he was a priest kid, and he grew up about three miles north of Jerusalem. And needs to say, you know, a ministry where God's people are worshiping false gods is not the best context for a ministry. And Jeremiah had a lot of reasons for quitting, a lot of reasons for giving up. Uh, the first reason uh, would be the people. And question, have people ever made you want to give up? Uh, now, you would have hoped that the southern kingdom would have learned from what happened to their sister in the north. You would have, you would have hoped they would have learned that, hey, it's not a good idea to keep messing with God because pretty soon his patience is going to wear out. But they, but they didn't learn. Check out what God says uh, through Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Her sister, the kingdom of Judah, saw what happened, but she wasn't worried in the least. And I watched her become unfaithful like her sister. The kingdom of Judah wasn't sorry for being a prostitute. And she didn't care that she made both herself and the land unclean by worshiping idols of stone and wood. And worst of all, the people of Judah pretended to come back to me. Even the people of Israel were honest enough not to, not to pretend. They didn't learn a thing. I mean, they kept two-timing God, stepping out on God, worshiping all kinds of idols, committing sexual morality on every hill in, the, in this country. They even sacrificed their own sons and daughters to the flame and worship of their false gods. And worst of all, the people of Judah pretended to come back to me. Even the people of Israel in the north were honest enough not to pretend. You, you see the picture he's painting? You know, the people in Judah, I mean, they, they, they didn't miss a service. I mean, they came in, they sang songs, they lifted their hands, they preached their sermons, they filled out their Jeremiah sermon notes every week. But it wasn't real. These people were just like the people Jesus talked about in Mark chapter 7. These people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They pretended to come back. They're faking it. Jeremiah said to them in Jeremiah 7, Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, and worship Baal and all these other new gods of yours and then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, we're safe? Only to go back and do all those evil things again? Do you think this temple which honors my name is a den of thieves? You think you can hide out here with all your stolen goods and be all right? I see all the evil going on, says the Lord. You know, people made Jeremiah want to quit. And, and I would contend that sometimes in your life it's people who make you want to quit. Uh, another reason Jeremiah wanted to throw in the towel was because of, of the mission that God gave him. And the mission that God gave him was uh, to preach a message that nobody wanted to hear. Now, here was his message. God is really angry. His anger cannot be restrained. Your only hope is to surrender to the Babylonians. If you do this, you will, things will turn out reasonably well for you. And you're still going into captivity for 70 years. But if you don't, 
If you don't surrender to them, he will come in and completely destroy the city. He'll, he'll reduce the temple, the rubble. He'll tear down the walls. He'll tear down every building. It'll burn it all. Thousands will die by the sword. Thousands by famine. It, it was a 40-plus year sermon series. And some of you are like, I'll get worn out by the Old Testament. It was a 40-plus year sermon series every week called Captivity and Death. And as you might have guessed, this message, it will warm out. Listen to these words from Jeremiah. He says, my heart is broken and I tremble uncontrollably. I, I stagger like a drunkard with someone overcome by wine because of the holy words the Lord has spoken against them. You see the mission, the task that, that God had called them to, the thing that God had asked him to do was wearing him down. And being the prophet of doom and gloom and death and destruction was enough to make Jeremiah want to quit. Question, has the, has the task, has the mission, has what God has put in your heart to do? I mean, has it ever become difficult where you're like, you know, I, I, I can't do it. I, I want to quit. I know God's called me to this, but I don't think I can keep on. Next was a rejection. I mean, he preached his heart out for 40 plus years. No one ever listened. He made no impact. He changed no lives. In Jeremiah chapter 6, he's talking to the people. And he's telling them, man, your life is kind of messed up right now. And here's how you can fix it. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. And walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. We will not listen. Because they wouldn't listen, they never found rest for their souls. And not only did the people reject him, but, but God also rejected his prayers, some of his prayers. You see, Jeremiah, he loved these people. And he cried out to God for these people. And more than once, God told him this, pray no more for these people, Jeremiah. Do not weep or pray for them, for I will not listen to them when they cry out to me in distress. I understand rejection is enough to make even the strongest person want to quit. And if that wasn't enough, then there was the loneliness. Listen, if there's ever a guy who needed to have a, a spouse by his side, it was this guy. But God told Jeremiah, you know what, Jeremiah? You, you can't get married. Because if you got married and had a family, that would be inconsistent with the message that judgment is coming. And knowing that, Jeremiah, I'm not going to allow you to attend parties or social gatherings because there is nothing to really celebrate within the nation. So you get the picture? For 40 years, Jeremiah was all by himself preaching a message no one wanted to hear to people who would not listen. And if that wasn't bad enough, let's throw some abuse and hardship into this boiling pot of discouragement. Men from his own town plotted against him. He was put on trial for his life. His very first copy of God's word, the king decided he didn't like it and he burned it. He was flogged and, and put in stocks in the public square. He was arrested for treason. They pulled him out of his prison cell, took him to the courtyard, found a well, dropped him in the well. There was no water in the well, but there was mud in the well, and he sunk into the well and nearly died in layers of mud. Now, I don't know about you, but... I think he had a lot of reasons for quitting, for giving up and throwing in the towel. Uh, listen to these words from a tired, weary, and worn-out man of God. Jeremiah 9.1. O 
Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night. He says, man, I'm all cried out. The reason you don't see tears is not because I'm not broken. It's because there's no water left. But if there was enough water, I would just weep all the time. That's why he's referred to as the weeping prophet. You know, he had many reasons for wanting to quit. Some of the same very reasons that make you and I want to quit, right? People, rejection, loneliness, that the task God called us to is too hard. And then all the hardships. And you know what? Sometimes he wanted to quit. Not all the time, but there were moments. There, there were moments when Jeremiah, he just had enough. And he cried out in great frustration, God, I can't take it anymore. I'm done. I'm finished. Have you ever had any of those moments? I got journals full of those moments. Here's what Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 15. Lord, you know what's happening to me. Please step in and help me. Please give me time. Don't let me die young. It's for your sake that I'm suffering. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They're my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord, God of heaven's army. I never joined the people in their merry feast. I ate alone because your hand was on me. I was filled with indignation at their sins. The sins of the people tore me up. It broke my heart that they weren't following you. Why then does my suffering continue? Why is my wound so incurable? Your help seems as uncertain as a seasonal brook, like a spring that has gone dry. Man, this guy's hurting, isn't he? He, and what I love about him, he's just honest, right? He's not pretending. He's not going to say, God, you're awesome and I love you. He says, God, I'm not liking you too much right now. I'm not feeling the love, God. God, you know what you're like, God? I was thirsty and I went down, I bent down at this brook to drink and it was all dried up. Your help seems as uncertain as a seasonal brook, like a spring that has gone dry. Now that wasn't true, just like it's not true when we feel that way, but it didn't mean he didn't feel it. And one more man I really want to throw in the towel moment from Jeremiah chapter 20. I curse the day I was born. May no one celebrate the day of my birth. And, and then he goes on. I curse the messenger who told my father, good news, you have a son. Let him, him, he, let him be destroyed like the cities of old that the Lord overthrow without mercy. Terrify him all day long with battle shouts because he did not kill me at my birth. Wow, he's not, he's not feeling too good. Hide the sharp objects, right? Oh, that I died in my mother's womb, that her body had been my grave. Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. Man, this is not the words of a guy ready to charge a hill. This is the words of a guy ready to cash in his chips and go home. Rejection, hostility, pain, suffering, loneliness. A tough mission, a tough call in his life. He had many reasons to quit. And sometimes he wanted to, but he never did. He never did. And you know, as I think about my man Jeremiah and how he hung in there, I asked myself over and over again, how did he do it? What, did, what enabled him, you know, to keep going when he wanted to quit, when, he, when the road was so hard and so difficult? And I think I found part of the answer. And our time remaining, I want to talk about three things, three things that, that you and I, that, that we must have if we're going to keep going when we feel like giving up, when we feel like quitting. Number one, Jeremiah had a purpose to live for. And the purpose-driven life, Rick Warren writes, 
Nothing matters more than knowing God's purposes for your life, and nothing can compensate for not knowing them. Not success, not wealth, not fame or pleasure. Without purpose, life is motion, without meaning, activity, without direction, and events without reason. Without purpose, life is trivial, petty, and pointless. We were made to have meaning. This is why people try devious methods like astrology or psychics to discover it. When life has meaning, you can bear almost anything. Without meaning, nothing is bearable. See, Jeremiah's life had meaning because he had a purpose to live for. And we see that purpose in the very first chapter of the Bible, of his, of his book, rather. Again, he's 17 years old, probably. He writes, the Lord gave me a message. He said, I, I, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my spokesman in the world. You know, God says to each of us, you know what? Before, you, before I formed you in your mother's womb, Bob and Chris, Fred, Jeff, I knew you. And before you were born, I already knew my plans for you. I already knew my thoughts and my intentions for you. I had purposes for you because I, I, I don't create anything without a purpose. Amen. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my spokesman to the world. And he's like, Oh, sovereign Lord, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. I love the next word. Don't say that. Don't say that. I know you. I formed you. Don't say what you can't do. Don't say who you can't be. I created you. I formed you. I know who you are. Don't say that. Don't talk yourself out of my purpose. Don't let other people talk you out of my purpose for them. You see, he knew his purpose, and his purpose was to speak the words of God, and, and that kept them going. Check this out. I love this. I love Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 20. I'm always talking about the message I've received from the Lord, but this only brings me insults. The people make fun of me all day long. Sometimes I say to myself, I will forget the Lord. I will not speak anymore in his name, but then... His message becomes like a burning fire inside of me, deep within my bones. I get tired of holding it inside of me, and finally, I cannot hold it in. He says, yeah, I want to quit. It's hard, and it's difficult. God, I, I can't do this thing. I, I, I can't be this thing. I can't do the thing you've asked me to do, and I try to keep it in, but it burns in me. The passion you put on me, the purpose you put on me, the plan you have for me is from the sovereign king of the universe, and no matter how I try to push it down, it always comes right outside of me. Though it's hard and difficult, God, you have this call on me. You've given me this purpose. Jeremiah says, I can't quit. Next Jeremiah, he had, a, he had a hope to anchor to. And here's a little illustration of the power of hope. Years ago, um, scientists did a, a research on the, on the effect that hope can have on somebody. And, and they had two sets of laboratory rats. And, and they put both sets in a tub of water. And the first sets of little rats, they kind of left by themselves. And they drowned in an hour. Sorry, but there were rats hurt in this illustration, but not by me. And, and the, the second group of rats... What they would do, every, like every few minutes, someone would reach down while they were swimming and pull them out for a little bit and put them back in. And they found that these little guys kept swimming for days because they knew that, hey, if we just keep swimming long enough, if we keep our little rodent feet going long enough, if we just keep swimming, we know that sometime, pretty soon, somebody is going to reach down and grab us with their hands and pull us out. 
And you see, Jeremiah had this hope, like, those, like our little rodent friends, right? He says, you know what? I know it's difficult and it's hard, but if I keep, just keep swimming, if I just keep hanging on, if I don't give up, pretty soon God will reach down and he'll grab a hold of me and he will rescue me. <coughs> and listen, not only did Jeremiah <coughs> speak the following words, he believed them to the core of his being. And it gave him an unsinkable hope. See, the context of this verse we love so well is a defeated, depressed, discouraged, destroyed people who are far from God. And Jeremiah writes these words from God. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans that prosper you, not to harm you. Plans that give you hope in the future. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. I love it. You see, Jeremiah knew, he says, Jeremiah knew, hey, the ultimate plan and purpose God has for his people, it's not wars, it's not battle, it's not famine, it's not death, it's not destruction. No, the ultimate plan God has for his people is hope and prosperity. And listen, our God is so good. I mean, Even in the midst of all their sin and rebellion, God's plan for them was still the same. It wasn't to harm them. It was to give them a hope and a future. And I love those three words in Jeremiah 29, verse 14. He says, I will bring you back from captivity. You know, know, sometimes we can misinterpret what God is doing and and I want you to know that God does, not, God does not punish us or allow bad things to happen to us in order to pay us back, but to bring us back. To bring us back. Understand God's goal, God's passion, God's desire for his people has been unchanged since the garden, since man's fall. His passion has been, I will do whatever it takes to bring my people back. I will do whatever it takes. Even as we read last week in chapter 16 of the story from Isaiah, I'll do whatever it takes, even if it means in order to bring you back, I have to crush my son. That's how much I want you back. I love it. I love it. Jeremiah had a hope. This was his hope. And, and, and this, this hope was anchored to the plan and purposes of God. And because Jeremiah knew that was God's purpose, uh, that his purpose for his people was not to pay them back, but to bring them back, that's what enabled him to, to write these words. You know, it, it's a book of lamentations. And, and Jeremiah is leaving the city of Jerusalem. It's destroyed. It's in rubble. It's burning. You know, but he's being led as a captive because they kind of took him against his will with him. Uh, and he looks in the rearview mirror, and he sees the destruction everywhere. And here's what he writes. The thought of my suffering and hopelessness is bitter beyond words. I'll never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. Yeah, it's hard, it's tough, it's not going the way I want it to. People, rejection, loneliness, it's very hard right now. He says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Remember what? The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercy never ceases. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. 
Therefore, I'll hope in him. The Lord, Jerusalem wasn't my inheritance. The temple wasn't my inheritance. The ministry wasn't my inheritance. The Lord is my inheritance. I, I will hope, rejoice in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from our God. Man, I love it. He said, yeah, it's hard. It's difficult. My loss is hard. It hasn't been easy, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this, that his faithful love endures forever. His faithful love endures forever. His faithful love endures forever. His mercies are fresh every morning. You know, all of us know a this week, we saw those images of the devastation that took place in, in Oklahoma this week. And, and uh, there's a, the examples of faith, the testimonies of faith are just incredible. Here's one that I came across this week that I think speaks well to faith in difficult times. Dan Thomas got to meet that teacher today. She played a pivotal role in helping these kids and she went out there today. She was back at her classroom for the first time, and Dan got to go with her. Take a listen. Get out of it alive. Paula Fobble has been a special education teacher for 18 years, all at Briarwood Elementary. Herself, the mother of a special needs child, it was more than just a job. The school, just one block from her home, now everything she owned is either destroyed. No use to me. Or buried. That's my car. Oh my God. We were with her as she marched over the rubble to see her classroom for the first time okay. since she and three other teachers led 18 students out of the debris. Still a dangerous place, it was as if time had frozen. But amidst all the destruction, Paula found reason for hope. Oh, look. We still got our snacks in here. Found my tote bag with my medicine still in it. I have a comb now and a brush. <laughs> More than just possessions now, yeah. they're reminders we of her life we before the storm. Well, if you're wondering where it was they went that somehow they survived, well, this is it. A hallway just in front of both the boys and girls' bathroom. 18 kids covered in pillows, four adults laying on top, and somehow they all got out relatively unscathed. I was laying on top of three of them, and I kept saying, are you okay, are you okay? And little Brady says, yes, I'm fine, and he has a heart condition, so I had to, was really concerned about him, but the kids were so great. They, they were so quiet, and you could, the only thing you could hear is us adults praying. Paula says prayer is just part of her life, every day before school, and every day before she went to her second job at a local fast food restaurant. This teacher hopes her experience serves as a lesson for your own life. Get you a storm shelter or a safe room if you can't afford it. Or make a friend. Let's make a friend, a real good friend up there. He'll take care of you. Took care of us. It hasn't shaken your faith any? Oh no. It made my faith even stronger. I wouldn't be here if I didn't have my faith, if I gave up. Dan Thomas, KOCO 5 News. You know, there are a lot of blessings in these stories out here tonight. Oh, here in the neighborhood of Heatherwood, this is... Amen. Amen. You know, when I, when I see those images there, that's the images that, that Jeremiah saw but multiplied. 
and he still had hope because of God. Uh, a, a purpose to live for, a, a hope to anchor to. And third, Jeremiah had a mighty God to trust in. Just one passage, Jeremiah chapter 32. I love it. O sovereign Lord, you make the heavens and the earth by your great power. Nothing is too hard for you. O great and powerful God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. You perform miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day, both in Israel and among all mankind, and have gained the renown that is still yours. Jeremiah says, you know what, God, nothing is impossible to you. You created everything just by your words. You delivered us from Egypt. You keep doing miraculous things to this very day. He had a mighty God to trust in. Uh, Understand, it it was a purpose to live for, a hope to anchor to, and a mighty God to trust in that enabled Jeremiah to keep going when he wanted to give up. And Maple Grove, fellow Jesus followers, we have those same three things. We do. We have a purpose to live for. Paul writes in Colossians 1 verse 16, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. And then one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Maple Grove, I stand before you today, May 26, 2013, upon the authority of the Word of God to tell you that you have a purpose for your life. You have a purpose for your life to know God, to bring God glory, to bring God pleasure, to reflect Him to this world to become more and more like Jesus. You have a purpose to to do the very thing that God has uniquely shaped you to do. Everything God creates has a purpose and so do you. And I love it. God has prepared in advance the things that he's called you to do. You have a purpose for your life. Fellow Jesus followers, to redirect the eternity of lost men and women, to plug them into life that is really life. We have a purpose to live for. One of my favorite lines in uh, the song Inside Out is, your will above all else, my purpose remains. See, no matter what else happens, no matter what hardships or rejection in Christ Jesus, our purpose always remains. And we have a hope to anchor to. The Hebrew writer writes this, we have run to God for safety. Now his promises should greatly encourage us to take hold of the hope that is right in front of us. This hope is like a firm and steady anchor for our souls. In fact, hope reaches beyond the curtain and into the most holy place. Jesus has gone there ahead of us, and he is our high priest forever. And I really love those words, Jesus has gone there ahead of us. You know why? Because if Jesus has gone there ahead of us, that means I'm going there too, right? Hey, that means where he's going, where he is now, that's where I'm going, Listen, right now, as we speak in this room, it's true, I'm not making it up. It's more real than this room. It's more lasting and enduring than anything we can see with our eyes. At this very minute, Jesus Christ is preparing a place for us. One day soon, amen, one day soon. One day soon, the new heaven and new earth will come down from the sky. So just keep swimming. 
Yes, soon the heavens will rip open and God will come. And, he, and with his own hand, he, I'm not making it up. I'm not making it up. And he will wipe every tear from your eye. And he will open the door to a forever without sin, sorrow, death, and disease. And we will see him as he really is. And John says in Revelation 21, verse 5, And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Listen, just like with Jeremiah, you know, his promises, God never breaks his promise. His promises should greatly encourage us to take hold of the hope that is right in front of us. The hope of a life with him forever and ever and ever. We have a purpose to live for no matter what comes against us. Uh, we, we have a hope to anchor to. And, and we, have a, we have a mighty God to trust in. The Apostle Paul, he's in prison. He knows pretty soon he's going to have footsteps. He knows the jail cell is going to open. And he's going to be led to the end, end of a, a Roman axe to have his head cut off. And he's writing some final words to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he says this, I love it. I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. He says, man, I, I trust God. I, I've entrusted my life to him, my soul, my eternity to him, and I am confident, I'm convinced that he's able to deliver on what he promised. And he wrote in 1 Thessalonians, the one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. If he said it, he'll do it. If he said it, he'll do it. I understand a purpose to live for, a, a hope to anchor to and a mighty God to trust in are keys to you and I hanging in there when we want to quit, when we want to throw in the towel. And so so, so here, here, here's the question of the ages. Where do we get those things? How do we, I mean, it, 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 do they sell at the Bible bookstore, you know, get a little bottle or there's some person we can email to and they'll send us something, a prayer cloth or something that, that is going to give us these things automatically. I mean, where are they? How do we get these things? If I need, where do they come from? This may shock you. The answer is a relationship with Christ. Is it? By seeking God, as Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 29, 13, 14, you know, the verses dealing with God's plan for you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. And when we want God more than we want anything else. See, what we're searching for, what we seek, reveals who we are. I remember years ago when AOL did that thing where they put all the searches that people have done, you know, uh, uh, the different sites they went to. And uh, New York Times said, hey, we can figure out who those people are. By just knowing where they search, we can tell you who they are. And, and see, it, 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 what we search for tells us who we are. And if we search for God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're going to find him. It, it comes when we begin to look to God for life and not trying to find life in other things. It's Jeremiah. Man, Jeremiah is all over it, right? He says this in Jeremiah chapter 2. My people have done two evils. They turned from me the spring of living water, and they've dug their own wells, which are broken wells that cannot hold water. You know, we keep looking for life and all the wrong things and, you know, digging well after well. It gets tired. I don't know if you ever dug a big hole. We had a, a, the main water line to our house in Georgia break one time and 
And I, I didn't, I wanted to save money, so I decided I would dig it out. My neighbors got me to replace the pipe, but I said, I'll dig it out. I, I, it was me and a shovel in about like a week and a half. You know, it, it was brutal, absolutely brutal, digging and digging. And when we dig well after well, we dig and we dig and we're tired and we're weary. And on top of all that, all, after all that digging, we're still not satisfied. It, it still leaves us empty. You, you know, I, I, I can just see Jeremiah pleading with the people that he loves, please, come home to God. Please, just turn back. Please stop looking for life and all the wrong things. You'll find what you're looking for in God. And you just read through the Old Testament, you know, again and again, people turn back to their idols. They turn away from God and they go back to these broken wells and find in the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene and, and, and one of the ways he introduces himself is that he is living water. I mean, that, that, that's like one of his titles, one of his names. He, Jesus is the living water. He, he's the well. He, he's the source of life. He actually introduced himself that way to the lady in John 4, a woman who had been married five times and is now living with a, a guy who's not her husband. And she had dug, you know, at least six different wells, right? Dug these holes. Dug these, and thinking, you know what? I, I'm going to find life in this relationship. And guess what? That relationship, it, it sprung a leak and all the water came out. You know what? I'm going to dig another hole here and maybe I'll find what I'm looking for. It didn't work. So she dug another hole and another hole, hoping to find life, hoping to find life. And then she meets Jesus. And he says to her, anyone who drinks this water, the water of this world, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. You tired of being thirsty? Are you tired of chasing for life? And man, I'm still thirsty. All this work and I'm still thirsty. Those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again because it becomes a fresh bubbling spring in them, giving them eternal life. Jesus looks at her and says, man, aren't you tired of digging? Aren't you tired of being thirsty? I'm it. I'm what you're looking for. I'm what you need. I'm what you're searching for. I'm enough. And listen, Jesus says the same thing to us today. You know, if Jeremiah was here, he would just plead with us. And I plead with us as a church today. I plead briefly individually. Jesus is what you need. And if you're tired and weary and worn out, um, I stand by the authority of the Word of God to tell you that you have a purpose to live for. And yeah, I know it gets hard. It gets tough. But God is with you. You have a hope to anchor to that this life is not all there is. It really isn't. And you have a mighty God to trust in. Nothing is too hard for our God. You know, the end of the story is that scene of the other prophet, right, Ezekiel. This valley of all these dry bones, laying in the desert, dry and barren, lifeless. And God says, you know, these bones, they, they represent my people. They're all dried up and barren and tired and weary. And, and, and God says, so Jeremiah, you, you think these bones, you think they could live again? Hey, God, only you know. And then he says, well, I want you, I want you to preach to those bones. And God's word brought life. Life is found in Christ and Christ alone. Don't give up. Don't give up. And when you seek God with all your heart, I'm serious. He'll show up. He'll show up and he'll give you what you need.
We're going to sing uh, the song Inside Out. And if you have a prayer need, our elders are always up at the end of service. They're available after the service. You know, and, and again, I love that line. Because I don't know about you, sometimes I get discouraged. Well, obviously, you know that, right? Okay. You think I need counseling? I probably do. God's my great counselor, right? The Holy Spirit is a counselor and a comforter. Um, and, and, and I need to remind it that your will above all else, no matter what comes against us, no matter what we face, no matter the difficulties, no matter what other people say, no matter what we say to ourselves about ourselves, God's purpose for our life remains. And his purpose and plans are to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a hope in the future. Would you stand as we pray? Father God, oh, Lord, I thank you for the words of Jeremiah. He has brought me comfort countless times. And Father God, I I pray that even as Jeremiah wrote in the 17th chapter that you know, blessed are those who trust in the Lord and who make their hope and confidence in him. God, I, I pray that we place our hope and our confidence in you right now. And God, I, I pray for those right now who, God, they're tired. It's been hard, difficult, lonely, frustrating. It, sometimes it, it hasn't seemed worth it, but they're still here. They're still swinging. And God, I pray you give them the strength to go one more round with you. And God, I pray you fill us from the inside out with your living water. In Jesus' name, amen.